forgot my clicker this morning. Sorry about that. Sean's there, though. So, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We've been studying Corinthians for many weeks now, 23 teachings to be exact. And what we have repeatedly discovered is that this is one of the main themes running through his writings. The main theme, of course, is Christ and him crucified with this ever-present suggestion that if we're going to call ourselves Christians, perhaps we should live the way Jesus Christ lived. And when he gets to this point in his letter in chapter 11, he puts aside all nuance and he says, quite plainly, imitate Jesus Christ. We're not here yet, obviously. We're about to start chapter 7 soon, so we'll be back into Corinthians shortly. But today... I thought we'd have a more general conversation about the practical application of this invitation to imitate Christ in our own lives. In my teachings here, I tend to really explore the theory behind Paul's writings and then let each of us work through the practical application of that in our lives. And I do that purposefully. You see, I think there is a very fine line that can easily be crossed when a teacher tries to establish for others exactly what the gospel should look like in their lives. If that line is crossed, it becomes very easy to take an entire community into legalism without anyone even realizing it's happening. So I want to stay away from that line. We are all made very differently. And if that's God's design, and I think it is God's design, I think scripture teaches we're made differently, then the gospel is going to work itself out in our lives a tad differently person to person. Now, the thing is, though, there are certain general guidelines. Okay? The imitation of Christ, after all, is ultimately about loving God and loving others. So, I mean, that's a universal thing. There is no imitation of Christ if we're not loving God and we're not loving others. But how that looks in each of our lives is bound to be different. It's bound to work itself out differently. So that's why I teach the way I do here at Cana. I want that each of us take the responsibility to work through the practical application of the imitation of Christ in our own lives. Or as Paul said... Sean, give me the next slide. For us to work out our own salvation with fear and tremble. Okay? However, within that understanding, I do think the helping with the application of the gospel in our lives is is a reasonable thing to expect from a teaching pastor from time to time. So, today I want to talk more practically about imitating Christ. And this is really a good Sunday to do this because this week, Lent began. Now, before you turn me off and shut down and don't want to listen and start updating Facebook or playing games, Jake, on your computer over there, <laughs> just give me, give me, and humor me, humor me for the next 15 minutes. I know if you were brought up in evangelical Christianity, observing Lent makes no sense. Because it's mostly ignored in those traditions, or sadly, some traditions even ridicule it. And so there's no basis for how do you observe Lent? What does it mean? 
I also know if you, like many of us here, some of us here, were brought up Catholic, that, or in one of the other few Protestant traditions that actually observe Lent, you may have come to reject it because you've grown just tired of it because of the way it has been portrayed or observed or you've seen hypocrisy in it or it became an empty tradition. But I want to say this about traditions because this, I think, is important. Just because a tradition may become empty for you is not a commentary on the tradition itself. Be careful with that. We all are creatures of tradition. Maybe we just like our traditions better than others. But I've even heard some people say to me, they don't like communion every week because it will become an empty tradition. I will suggest to you this. If communion ever becomes an empty tradition to you, I can guarantee it's not communion's fault. So be careful with dismissing things because they're traditional. That's not a quality argument. So, what I want to ask us this morning, just put aside your prejudices, put aside any judgments you may have had about Lent, and I want to try to share why I think an authentic observation of Lent is a highly valuable and very practical tool for us to use on our journey to imitate Christ. So let's start with a short history lesson because here's the thing. Lent has its origins amongst the earliest of Christians. It far predates any denominations that we have in Christianity today. So that's one argument you have to get rid of because that's what I hear a lot. People that know I observe Lent, they're always like, well, I don't observe Lent. I'm not this or I'm not that. Well, trust me, people were observing Lent long before there was a this or that. So, Irenaeus, he died in 203 A.D., he was a disciple of Polycarp, <laughs> who himself was believed to be a disciple of St. John, as in the d- Apostle St. John, as in the disciple whom Jesus loved John. Okay, So this is how close Irenaeus is to the man who knew the man. Wait, hold on. <laughs> he writes a letter to Victor I. I do need a clicker. Sorry. Irenaeus writes a letter to Victor I in the late 100s talking about a disagreement going on about the fast leading up to the Easter celebration. Christians having disagreements. That's, a, that's new. That's interesting. So, way back. So he writes this. So here's what he writes to Victor I. The dispute is not only about the day, but also about the actual character of the fast. Some think that they ought to last for one day, some for two, others for still more. Some make their days last 40 hours on end. Such variation in the observance did not originate in our own day, but very much earlier in the time of our forefathers. So, a fast leading up to Easter was going on in the time of the forefathers. Irenaeus' forefathers were the first Christians. Do you see? Lent is not new. Lent is not a Catholic invention for those of you that don't do Lent because it might be Catholic. It is not an Anglican invention. It is something that the very first Christians practiced leading up to the Easter celebration. We know by the 300s, Lent had become the 40-day event it is today. 
because you can go John just the next one. Because in the Council of Nicaea's writings, they talk about it, and the Council of Nicaea happened in 325 A.D. For most Western Christians, it is a 40-day period that begins on Ash Wednesday. For Eastern Christians, they have a different beginning. Um, but for all, it's a time to prepare for the Easter celebration by engaging in a purposeful fast. Okay, So that's what Lent is, and that's the history of Lent and where it comes from. I believe Lent should be a part of every Christian life because it is a very practical way for us to practice the imitation of Christ. See, Christ's life was predicated on an epic surrender of self. Okay, This is how St. Paul talks about it. This is Paul's hymn to humility. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So any imitation of Christ is naturally going to have to start in a similar place. Right? Even Paul says that. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Imitating Christ without this attitude is impossible. Why? Because loving others is putting others first. Loving others is putting their needs before our needs. Loving others, excuse me, is putting the pres others' preservation ahead of our preservation, and it means loving them even if it means costing our own life. See? He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. He gave up everything in his love for us. So that's what imitating Christ ultimately is. Others come first. Okay. This is where Lent can help us. Self-preservation is the arch enemy, if you will, of the imitation of Christ. Self-preservation is what makes fallen man fall. Self-preservation. It is not something that goes away easily. Only grace can destroy our propensity to preserve ourselves. Only grace. Remember, grace not only saves us, grace transforms us. That's why the gospel is for everybody all the time. You know, some people think the gospel is just for non-Christians or just for the unsaved. No, the gospel is for everybody all the time. We need the gospel every day of our lives. It saves us, it transforms us. It doesn't. Lent helps us practice the surrender of self so we can be better positioned to receive this transforming grace we need if we are ever going to imitate Christ at an authentic level. Let me try to explain. The imitation of Christ is not a call to become great impressionists. We cannot muster the strength, the determination, the skills to live like Christ. Imitation of Christ is not a New Year's resolution. Okay? Which is why some people, you know, struggle with Lent. They think it's just this New Year's resolution type of thing. No, it's not. Okay? It is instead... Imitation of Christ is radical transformation of our lives by the power of the Holy Ghost. 
So imitation of Christ, then, really is an invitation to discover the radical life-reordering power of God's grace. That's what the imitation of Christ is. It is an attitude of surrender of ourself, surrender of our own rule, surrender of us on the throne, if you will, and allowing God and his love to be in control of our lives, to be on the throne of our lives, to be the new way of our life. So really the imitation of Christ is allowing Christ to do what he does, make all things new, make us like him. Paul writes it this way. Okay? But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord's Spirit. So God's doing that in us when we let. So the imitation of Christ really isn't about so much doing things as it is surrendering ourselves. Here's the problem. Self is not so easily surrendered. Self-preservation is what makes our life up. And sadly, it's even come into Christian teaching, Christian writings, self-preservation. And self-preservation is like the antithesis of what Christianity is all about. At least according to the Gospels. And Paul's writings, and John's writings, and Peter's, and James, and a couple others. So like with anything, surrender of self takes practice. Everything worth doing takes practice. Tim and Robert and Mark didn't just wake up this morning and decide they were going to be musicians and play that wonderful set for us. You don't just wake up one morning and decide, oh, I'm going to be this. It takes practice. And the harder the goal, the more practice it takes. Surrender of self might be the most biggest challenge in all of our lives. Because it's so hard. The, the epic surrender of self, Sean, this doesn't just happen. You don't just wake up one day and decide, okay, this is where Lent comes in. This is where Lent can genuinely help us. For the most traditional way of observing Lent is giving something up. Fasting or surrendering, if you will. In the Whitestone Journal, I read this. Doing without can strip away some of the illusions and give us a glimpse of the truth. During Lent, we have the opportunity to hear voices that are usually lost in the din of pleasure and meaningless talk. We can enter into a private desert, even in the midst of the world, and face our own demons. We can tear down false idols, even if only to be heartbroken, at finding others behind them. But if we are brave, we can run through this desert trying to find the real God Amid the gods. Fasting is a way of practicing the surrender of self so that we might find, receive this God amid the gods. Fasting is a way to reach out consistently beyond all that tries to capture our imagination. To reach out Beyond all the noise calling us to preserve ourselves. 
all that self-help stuff we need by taking care of me, 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 and we just become more and more and more and more and more miserable and need to take care of me, me, me even more. It's everywhere, and it's not working. Maybe Jesus was on to something. Maybe it's about the other. Fasting is a way to reach beyond all the illusions that tell us we are first, and everyone else is second. Noun writes it so beautifully. Here's what Noun writes. There are so many voices calling for our attention and so many activities distracting us that a serious effort is necessary if we are to become and remain sensitive to the divine presence in our lives. Because I, 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 I can't... <laughs> I know this seems silly. I'm teaching online. I am incredibly passionate about this. Because this... There are so many voices and activities distracting this is life in 2013. With the advent of social media, I just read today, the radio voice of the Celtics has more people following his Twitter accounts during games than they do listening to him on the radio. We are just a society of give me something to entertain myself. And every... Look, my daughter, she'll spend two hours on the couch checking Twitter. My 12-year-old checks Twitter. My 12-year-old has Twitter followers. <laughs> Who cares? I don't follow them. <laughs> <laughs> it's your brother. This is important. The most important voice trying to gather our attention. We shut out. Kevin Bean writes it this way. True surrender is the creation of certain types of intentionality that keep time and space open for God's healing, sustaining an empowering presence and purpose in our lives. People say, I want more of God in my life. I wish He'd do this. I wish He'd do that. And I, I just think to myself, well, I, He's trying. Surrender in the Christian life is purposeful opening up to the approach of God. That's what it is. Now and again, it is like raking away the leaves that cover the pathways in the garden of our soul. Surrender enables the revelation of God's divine spirit in us. I love that. That is a beautiful understanding of what surrender really is within the Christian faith and why it is so essential to the imitation of Christ. This isn't about ascetics. Traditionally and historically, this is what the season of Lent has been about. This is why I think Lent is and should be important to every Christian. It is the practice of surrender. And surrender is ultimately the Christian journey. Lent reminds us of this. And it allows us to move more deeply into this practice through purposeful moments of opening ourselves to the transforming presence of God. So, I don't do this often. Honestly, I, I mo someone's blown up. Someone's phone. Stop. Okay. Um, I don't do this often. But that someone, someone's phone goes. This is, I can hear it. Anyway. <laughs> Um, 
It's your birthday. All right. It's your birthday. It's my birthday. Whether it's your birthday or not, get your phone. Let's talk about that last. No, never. Mind. Um, nice. Okay. I don't do this often. I know that. I know I just teach and sort of let everyone work it out in their own lives. But I really can't stress how much I want to encourage everyone here to use Lent as a time to practice this beautiful understanding of surrender. Scripture calls us to imitate Christ. Practicing surrender brings us closer to what Scripture calls us to. I believe we should be purposeful in practicing surrender because being purposeful during this Lenten season will help us be purposeful all year. Do not be fooled by the power of self-preservation in your life. Do not be fooled by it. It is powerful. Powerful. Think about why we don't imitate Christ. Because to forgive someone, to look in your enemy's eyes and love them and offer them grace and mercy hurts. It costs something. Think right now of the relationship in your life that causes you the most pain. It's hard to love like Christ is calling us to love. Why? Because self gets in the way. It's real. It hurts. The determination of our self to survive is legendary. Any of us who have ever studied history or read history, what happens when society is collapsing and death is all around. People don't care anymore about anything. Just do some studies. When things have gone bad because of plague, because of war, people start doing whatever they want. Why? Because it's all about the preservation of self. But we're called to something bigger. We're called in big moments to love our enemies. Forgive those who hurt us. But those are big moments. If we spend so much time catering to ourselves every day and every hour, oh, how do we expect we're going to meet those moments? How do we expect we'll meet those moments? We have to practice surrendering so the Holy Ghost will have full reign. Lent allows us to practice the surrendering in little ways. In little ways of putting aside self. Practice giving up small ways we preserve ourselves and practice opening ourselves up to the reign of the Holy Ghost. Bean helps us understand this better. God wants us to be truly available to Christ in His ongoing mission. 
It is only as a means to hear God's call more clearly that we give up this or let go of that, and possibly fast from our more self-centered pursuits, bad habits, old grudges and discontents, our tendencies to judge others, and some of our more endless distractions. That is powerful. That person you just can't stand in your life. That person you are mean to. That person you will not forgive. Maybe that would be a good thing to give up this Lent. Maybe after six weeks of giving it up, you might find a change. If we're ever going to be fully open to this imitation of Christ, I think it's a good idea to start practicing surrender of self in little ways. Lent offers us a perfect time to choose a fast to start practicing. Okay? But, before we make any decisions on what that looks like, thanks, Sean. Please remember, we don't surrender for surrender's sake. We don't fast for fasting's sake. See, that's what turns Lent into something we don't understand or why Christians ignore it. It's because they think it's just, oh, I'll just give up chocolate or something like that. No, that's not what Lent is about. We do it so the absence of something that we really like or think we even need keeps us consciously aware of the approach of the transformative presence of God. Fasting at its core has to do with this idea. So I want to share with you so my own Lenten journey so that maybe... It, it, When I chose what I give up for Lent, I don't just choose something that I can live without anyway. Or that really is no big deal in my life. I take the time to talk to God about what in my life is something that is so part of my everyday experience. I, I really like it, want it, need it. Because here's what suddenly happens. We're talking about six weeks, people. Six weeks. That's it. Forty days plus Sundays. Six weeks. The second your mind starts saying, oh, I couldn't give that up for six weeks. Guess what that thing is that you can't give up? That's called an idol. An idol is usurped the presence of God in our lives. And it's not because... There's a great line in the Old Testament, but it's so misunderstood. I think, you know, God is a jealous God. I wish someone had never written that because then we apply our own human jealousy, that term, and oh my gosh, he becomes this demon. But anyway, it's not because we have an idol. God's like, oh, I'm offended. You like him better than me. No, it's God loves us so much but is such a gentle lover, he ain't, he's not going to destroy our idols for us. They're ours. They're ours. So if, if we want him in our lives, then he just sort of stands back. So I have chosen something that I give up for Lent that every day 
Every day, I know it's not part of my life. Every day, I would like it to be part of my life. And what happens is three things happen because I do this that have helped me tremendously since I've started observing Lent. The first thing is, every time I want that thing, I remember that I am in a moment of practicing self-surrender. I'm in a season of practicing the surrender of myself. Number two, every time I want that and I can't have it, I remember that I am practicing identifying idols in my life that need to go away so God can take over. And number three, and most importantly, every time I want what I give up for Lent, it reminds me that I am opening myself up to something else. And I don't know if anything I've said has made sense today, but I can't tell you over the last four years since I've started to really observe Lent, it has helped. It has really, really, really helped. Try it. The only thing you have to lose by entering a legitimate observation of Lent this year is that idol in your life. you got nothing else to lose. And honest. This isn't a New Year's resolution. If you can't give something up for six weeks, you probably got to ask yourself, what is that thing that I won't give up? Let's as a community honestly covenant together to use this Lenten season to open ever more purposely to the presence of God in our lives. C.S. Lewis says this about it. We give up our own lives so that we may receive nothing less than the living Christ in us. And that's the most important thing of all to remember about this. This isn't about us. It's about God in us. All of us are here because at some level we believe Jesus is God. At some level we admire and worship and respect Jesus. I know we all love to be like Him. He wants us to be like Him. A Lenten fast is not a fast unto death. It's a fast unto a resurrected Christ living in us. Remember, Lent doesn't end on Crucifixion Friday. It ends on Resurrection Sunday. Or as K. Pond so beautifully put it, the faster is a person preparing for a feast. Let's prepare for that feast together this year.